Welcome to Think Fit Be Fit podcast. My name is Jen Schwartz. I'm the creator and hostess of this podcast, where we believe that knowledge about exercise science, physiology, and how the body adapts to exercise is one of the keys to staying pain-free and consistent with exercise. Today's episode is a really important one. It covers a topic that affects someone you know, or perhaps even yourself, and it's definitely something we are trying to avoid, which is chronic pain. Here are some statistics about chronic pain. 50 million Americans live with chronic pain. Between 500 and 630 billion dollars are lost annually due to chronic pain in America. Patients experience persistent pain after routine surgery up to 50% of the time. Back pain is the leading reason for sick leave and early retirement in Europe and the leading cause of disability in the United States. Back pain represents 27% of all types of pain. 346 of pain patients in Canada think of suicide. That's really shocking. That's not good. In North America, pain accounts for 78% of all ER visits. That's important right now because of the pandemic era, and we have to start taking the conventional medicine model of visit the ER when you hurt out of the equation because there are people that absolutely need life-saving attention in this era whereas um, pain and chronic pain are so common that it's probably not considered a life-saving condition. In my practice, I do not treat chronic pain, but many of my clients deal with chronic pain. My practice of muscle activation techniques and exercise and active recovery, holistic wellness is more focused on becoming more resilient and we work together with the client to treat muscular imbalances that may be related to the symptoms that they experience. This is different than physical therapy, which my guest today, Jen DeLorenz, an independent physical therapist in Alexandria, Virginia, she actually works with me, and she's an expert in essentially explaining pain. And she represents a new paradigm in physical therapy, which is what we're talking about today. In my podcasting professional opinion, that conventional medicine as it is now is ineffective at solving chronic pain. This is because they look at the wrong medical paradigm with the wrong delivery model. It's my opinion. We've reached a point in American history where it's the norm to have chronic pain and treat it with band-aids. There is so much wrong with that fact from where I'm sitting. A new way of working with physical therapy and is what we're talking about today. So some of the topics we are covering, pain as an experience, which is so much more than just the biology, how the environment around us can influence pain. 
We cover the four main pillars of health for caring for getting out of chronic pain, essentially. And we also talk about uh, information that most physicians don't understand about pain in the brain. And we talk about a concept of nudging when it comes to working with your body and dealing with chronic pain. My guest, Jen DeLorenz, can be reached at Jen at DeLorenzoPT.com. Okay, I've been saying her name wrong. Um, <laughs> Jen, J-E-N, at D-E-L-O-R. E-N-Z-O-P-T.com. She can be reached at 703-859-3415. That's right. No social media, no website. She's kicking it old school in a whole new paradigm of treating pain with physical therapy. I um, am very open to your suggestions and questions about this one because it is so important that we learn from each other and create a new conversation about chronic pain as it relates to exercise and staying and achieving pain-free. I look forward to hearing from you and enjoy this episode. Okay, uh, go ahead and tell us about you and what you're up to. Well, my name is also Jen. Uh, my name is Jen DiLorenzo, and I am a physical therapist as well as a health and wellness coach. My big area of specialty is the use of pain science in both coaching and physical therapy. Um, pain science is an important area to help people because we do have a problem with chronic pain in our country and our world. And I can treat people with acute pain or long-standing pain, whether or not it's due to surgery or an injury. Injury, and it's probably most important to help people understand pain when they haven't had surgery or an injury because they still have real pain. I have a very small private practice in Alexandria, and I really like the one-on-one -on -one that I am able to do, but I also like to expand my ripple and help more people understand pain. Um, it'd be nice if they could push me out of a job if everybody understood pain that well. <laughs> well... Uh, what I've told the listeners is that it's multi multifaceted. You know, I've used the terms um, from the, I guess it's the updated versions of pain and that we've, I guess a lot of people have lost their way because we've, our conventional wisdom is that if I can feel it, it's absolutely real and it's right on that same spot. But um, anyways, we'll get to that in a little bit because I, I find uh, that whole shift in perspective like so helpful for anyone that's had injuries and all those things and if they want to continue working out. But first, I, want, I would love to know uh, how you got to being in a small practice and uh, what you find so rewarding about the one-on-one -on -one work? I have worked in several different settings from traditional rehab to um, hospital-based outpatient practices. I was even a traveling PT for a while, which was pretty fun. Okay, I settled into an outpatient focus probably in the late 90s, and um, I just seemed to be attracted to that form of physical therapy more so than others. 
And I've been involved with a manual therapy and a very functional therapy group, the Institute of Physical Art, since 1994. So they have really largely formed my practice. And then I kind of stumbled into pain science probably in 2013 or so. And I was self-taught for a while. And then I was in... um, International Spine and Pain Institute's first cohort for a therapeutic pain specialist group. And so that was fascinating, and I learned so much, and it has completely flipped me over on understanding pain science, and it has really helped me help an entire area of clients where I wasn't able to use the tools I had. Mm -hmm. So this has really expanded my tools and my ability to help a larger group of people. That's, yeah. I mean... And looking at uh, the problems in my own practice with, you know, working on one-on-one, like, I really believe that there's so much benefit to this education piece, obviously. That's why I'm doing this podcast so passionately, Uh, you know, so I, like, totally align on that. Um, I will try not to be, like the echo chamber (laughs) for this because you're here because I'm so on board with, um, you know, working alongside you on a couple cases and having uh, some really nice experiences with our networking groups and things like that. So you're not going to find much, uh, you know, I don't know, red flags for me as far as like what she's saying, um, because I've seen it, I've seen it in action, you guys. And I just don't get to experience that very often when I work with physical therapists, unfortunately. And I, it's heartbreaking because so many people come to me with, a bad taste in their mouth about physical therapy. So, yeah. What do you have to say to those people? Like, how can we help them? So often I am not the first provider that someone calls. And I am often pretty far down the line because they're pretty hesitant to try something new because when we don't understand something, sometimes we shy away from it. I've had people who've had my business card for four years before they call. And then one woman in particular, it was about three or four visits and the shift occurred. And then she was done with me, done with me in a good way, not a bad way. Um, So when I talk to people on the phone and just trying to give them an idea of what I do is I really just ask a lot of questions and I really connect to their story because that helps me know what the next questions are. And I help them understand that they haven't done anything wrong because unfortunately, when some medical providers don't know how to help a client, Mm -hmm. they end up intentionally or not kind of blaming the client. And it's really just that we all have a different skill set. I am lucky enough and fortunate enough to have this pain science skill set so I can help a group of people that haven't had the fortune of working with a clinician who understands pain in the same way. Mm -hmm. And we are getting more and more people that are understanding it, more PTs, more physicians, more psychologists. We just need to get it out there more and more. And my biggest thing is to treat everyone as a human and their story is unique. Mm -hmm. There are similarities and similar concepts, but it's really important that everyone know that their story is unique. 
And more importantly, all pain is real. We have never scanned fake pain. Ooh, that's interesting. Hold on. Can we go back to that never scanned fake pain? Sure. What it, I, I've never heard that phrase before. I can remember when I was taking the therapeutic pain specialist program and um, Adrian Lowe was the director of that program. And I remember when he said that and it really made me stop and think because how often have I had clients say that people think they're faking it, people think they're milking it, and in the workers' comp world, it's that they're malingering, when really we can see pain on fMRI or brain scans. We used to think there was a pain area in the brain, but actually we have nine different parts of our brain that have the potential to participate in any pain experience. And so for clients to know that what they're experiencing is real, even though we can't trace it to a tissue, is really important and often gives them a lot of hope that they can have their symptoms addressed and improved. And so it's really important. I stress that to my clients. Yes, you have pain. It may or may not be from a tissue, a bone, or a joint, but I believe 100% you have pain. Mm -hmm. An easy way to understand that is thinking about environment because our environment impacts the amount of pain we experience. So think about if you sprained your ankle while you were on vacation, having a great time, you still had five days left of your vacation, do you think your ankle would have the same level of pain mm -hmm. as if you sprained your ankle in the exact same manner in a job you hated, your boss was always yelling at you, and you just didn't know how much more you could take of that job? So, yeah, the hypothesis is no. The, the potentially having this happen on vacation might set you up for a better healing process. I'm not going to say healing process okay. because the tissues still need to heal. We okay. can impact healing effectively or less effectively, but the experience of pain, because pain is, it, we don't have pain receptors. We don't have pain signals. Pain is an experience created by the brain mm -hmm. in response to real or perceived threat. Mm. And so there's a bigger threat around a job that you dislike, around a boss who's always angry with you, versus being on vacation where you still want to be able to get out there and make the most of it. So our environment affects our pain experiences, and it can impact healing, but that's kind of going in a different direction. Mm, okay. Yeah. Wow. So what – so – it sounds like we need to help some physicians better educate their patients. Like that's one of the main tenets of this way of doing physical therapy, right? I don't know the best place to start. Uh, we do need to educate physicians. Mm -hmm. We do need to educate the community. We do need to keep educating the PTs and the OTs. And another really crucial group is the psychologists and social workers because we work from what's called a biopsychosocial model mm -hmm. where the biology is where we've tended to be for the last 
three and a half centuries. Uh, but there's so much more to pain than just the biology. So the biology example is like when you touch something hot and we believe that touching something hot injured that particular point, like that tissue. That is that the biology piece? Yes. So when you touch something hot, if it's hot enough to burn the skin, then yes, you have injured it. You can touch something hot and not have an injury. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the bio is the anatomical and physiological structures of the body. Mm -hmm. And did they have damage to them? Did they have a surgery? But that's different because they can be impacted by our psychology. So Mm -hmm. we just talked about the difference of your environment. A happy environment versus a hard environment impacting that pain experience. And we also have to look at the social factors. So we know that um, children that grow up in a home with one or more parents who experience chronic pain, they have a 40% more likelihood of experiencing chronic pain themselves. Oh my God, my eyebrows just because just shot up. Just because of their environment. (laughs) So the social piece is huge too. And so that's how I treat my clients. And sometimes Mm -hmm. we need to bring in other people. Sometimes they need counselors. Sometimes they need trainers. Sometimes they need nutritionists. But there's so many different pieces that we need to consider. Mm. And I often actually give my clients puzzles. And on one side, I'm having Mm -hmm. them write down the potential contributing factors to their pain. And then the other side, I'm having them write down um, things that they can do to reduce their pain and take ownership and control so that they can see it's never one thing. Mm -hmm. We want it to be easy in one thing, but it's not. Yeah. (laughs) I, um, yeah, I, I try to gauge where people are on that scale when I first meet them so that... I know if it's an appropriate place to refer out or how am I going to convince them that their body can change under these circumstances, you know? And, uh, yeah. Um, I do... Okay, so back to um, something I think is really important. What are the... when, When you talk about reaching out to a bigger audience and teaching... Um, Can you let us know what uh, institutions or associations you're involved with so I know where to send people for good information? Yes. So I'm currently, I do some online pain science education training with a group called Evidence in Motion. Mm -hmm. And they used to be part of International Spine and Pain Institute, but they kind of merged into one company in January. So both of those names are out there. Um, And Adrian Lowe is probably the biggest name in that group. Um, But that's where most of my pain science training comes from. I've also taken some courses from the um, NOI group, Mm -hmm. and um, that is... David Butler and his group. Um, so there's there's a lot of good key players out there. Mm-hmm. Um, most of mine comes from Evidence in Motion. Okay. And then when do um, wh- when do other physical therapists um, seem to I don't know meet this new way of thinking? Like when did this start? When did this whole movement start? And Um, Do people seem to get exposed to it through the national PT organizations or is it from like a lot of self-study or is it, you know, more of like a merge from the coaching fields? 
I would say pain science is not part of the coaching field. Okay. Um, but there are a lot of overlapping concepts yeah. between the two. I would say most PTs are probably exposed through just online marketing type of things. Mm -hmm. um, and Adrian, and there are more and more pain science presentations um, at our national conference, and they're also becoming part of occupational therapy conferences, which is great. Um, at the APTA, or the American Physical Therapy Association conferences, it is really fun and energizing to see because Adrian's talks just absolutely sell out. They're mm -hmm. not technically sold, but they have had to bring um, screens into the hallways of the conference centers because he has hundreds and hundreds of people that are wanting to get this information. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that's nice to hear. Uh, I... Well, uh, I, I really want to bring something to the podcast audience attention, which I've talked about before, which is essentially how to view your nervous system and um, how to essentially care for it. But before we do that, um, I wanted to ask about your continuing education outside of this stuff, because you do even more than... I mean, any PT that I know as far as continuing ed. So I've heard you talk about vitamin D and sleep. And can you give me a, like a little list of the, like the last two years of stuff? I spent probably about 10 or 15 years really diving deep into the Institute of Physical Art, which is functional manual therapy. Mm -hmm. And so that is a... That is a really soup-to-nuts approach to assessment and posture and body mechanics and manual therapy and neuromuscular re-education. So it's, it is a fabulous, fabulous program that I use to this day, and I'm still very in touch with that group. Um, in addition to that, uh, I think it was in 2014, I got my first coaching certification through Catalyst Coaching. Mm -hmm. And from there with the same group, I got a master's in coaching. And then in 2017, um, there was the very first national board certification for health and wellness coaching. So I'm pretty excited that I was in that group. So it just blends so nicely. The um, manual work blends beautifully with the pain science work, and we can accomplish all of it better with the coaching background. Um, and within pain science, uh, sleep is a very big part. It's one of our four main pillars. The other three pillars are goals, education, and exercise. And so I have really become obsessed with sleep, and there's so much we for can do. For good reason, yeah. For good reason, <laughs> yes. Um, and I would have to say, I don't know this guy at all, but Matthew Walker's book, sure, Why yeah. We Sleep, is fabulous. And the other person I have learned most of my sleep stuff from is Dr. Sasha Gominak. And sleep is huge. Mm -hmm. So sleep is a big piece for me too. Yeah. No, I, that's, that's a subject I haven't been able to get into huge with the podcast. I've talked about. We can. Yeah, we totally can. <laughs> active, I use, I use the term active recovery very often to signify these intentional acts of helping your body um, care, you know, have a good foundation of, um, I don't know, efficient activity. <laughs> um, and geez, oh, there's so many directions we can go in here. Um, we talked about, 
the other day, um, I'm drawing a blank because I'm so biased towards this, like, caring for the nervous system thing. We were, um, you know, I'm really interested to know what, how big this telehealth thing is going to be for this pain science. Like, is it, like, the perfect um way to deliver this medicine or would you rather be in person to deliver it i still would rather be in person however much of the content Mm -hmm. can very effectively be done through telehealth yeah so if we look at pain science neuro pain science education Mm -hmm. we have four main pillars Mm -hmm. which i mentioned before but they are education Mm -hmm. and if you think about i often will tell a client if if they come in and they're an accountant, I'm like, how would it be if we switched jobs for a day and you had to go do all my PT clients and I had to do your accounting? That wouldn't go well for me. I would be stressed out. I would be anxious because I don't understand what I would need to do as an accountant. And so it's the same with pain. So the education piece is so important because if you don't understand pain, Mm-hmm. How can you effectively treat pain, whether mm-hmm. it's yours or someone else's? Mm-hmm. And so the education piece can very easily be done through an online forum. Exercise, yeah, there's a fair amount we can do online. Mm-hmm. Um, sleep is largely also education and coming up with different strategies and you know changing their hygiene or considering some nutrition things. There are some very interesting hands-on things that can be done to enhance the airway for sleep. Mm-hmm. So that is manual. And then goals is our other pillar. And yeah, we can do that online very easily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, manual therapy has a definite piece Mm -hmm. with pain science. Mm -hmm. Some clients aren't ready for it. If their nervous system is way too ramped up, we can actually flare their symptoms and um, cause an increase in pain if we do that too soon or too aggressively. But then the other side of that is that we can use the touch of the shoulder, the knee or the foot to actually calm down the central nervous system. Mm. So there is a definite piece. Mm -hmm. And Adrian has a brand new book mm-hmm. about pain the use of pain science and manual therapy and depending on what your audience and how savvy they are in this area there are um, there is a perception that is a very inaccurate perception that all pain neuroscience education is is talking and teaching patients mm. when really we have research that says just educating patients doesn't help Mm-hmm. What's really the gangbusters combination is the education with exercise. Mm-hmm. And we refer to the program as PNE plus. Mm-hmm. So we need those four pillars. And then we have a list of 20 plus other areas that we need to have the option to address depending on the client to get them where they want to be. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, that, that answers that. What, um, Can we go back to what a ramped-up nervous system is? Sure. Yeah. Can we combine this with a story? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, we need stories. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So (laughs) we're going to talk – I'm going to tell you a story about how your nervous system is like an alarm system on your house. So this is an interactive story, Jen. Okay. Jen, if you stepped on a nail, would you want to know about it? Yes. Why would you want to know that you've stepped on a nail? Because – 
I know my I need my foot. I need it to function, and I don't want it to bleed or be exposed to infection. Correct. So in this case, you will experience pain, mm. and in this case, pain is protective. Mm. A lot of times people think that pain is always bad and pain is negative, but pain really is protective. Yes. Yeah, totally. So how do we get to the experience of pain in the nail and the foot? You have 400 nerves in your body, Mm. and if we laid them end to end, it's 45 miles. So living here. You know, I really think about this stuff, and like... I think that is fascinating. I, I do, too. And just yesterday, my son actually asked me a question, which was fascinating because he's heard this so much before. He's like, 45 miles, Mom? And I said, yeah, buddy, we could lay you down and get you to Baltimore. Yeah. And he really was fascinated by that. So it okay. kind of gives you an impression. And all of those 45 miles of nerves, they're all connected like one big highway system. So yeah. when you step on that nail, mm-hmm. there it goes on a nerve. It's just a danger receptor or a danger message it is not pain Mm -hmm. and that goes to your spinal cord and then it goes up to the brain and the brain says hey jen stepped on a nail we need to let her know because she might have an infection she's gonna make sure her tetanus is up to date so you have the experience of pain now your nervous system has ramped up the alarm has been set off Mm -hmm. so if you kind of have an image of just like tiny little buzzing bees and when I teach middle schoolers this I have them do a low little buzzing bee sound Mm -hmm. and then when the nervous system is ramped up then we have a loud buzzing bee Mm. so what's going to happen your foot's going to be sore for a couple days Mm -hmm. and then it will calm down Mm -hmm. that's normal that's how the nervous system works it ramps up really quickly to protect you and it Mm -hmm. calms down slowly in everyone and um i've told my son this i'm like hey aren't you glad that it doesn't take three days for you to feel your hand on the burning hot stove Mm -hmm. (laughs) so we're really glad that it ramps up quickly so here is the challenge that in about one in four people the nervous system doesn't come back down to that low level of a buzzing bee. One in four. One in four. Ugh. It's actually a little bit less than that, but we'll just say one in four. Ugh. So that's about, that's more than 110 million people in our country who are experiencing chronic pain. Yeah. I mean, well, good for business. Sorry. Well, I do like to tell my clients I want them to fire me because that means they're doing well. (laughs) Fire me for good reasons, not for bad reasons. (laughs) Uh, So if it stays elevated and we have the loud, loud buzzing bees, it takes less to trip the switch. So now I usually have visuals, so we don't have visuals here. So I'm going to give you another example of what that elevated system looks like. Let's just say that you have a house alarm. And you want that alarm to go off when a brick hits the window, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what if somebody messes with the sensitivity of your alarm system and the alarm goes off when a leaf hits the window? Mm -hmm. So there's a whole lot less room for life and error to happen when it's going to be going off with a leaf versus a brick. And so that's what it's like when somebody has a sensitized nervous system. Everything's disrupted. Their attention to, like, how they go about their day. Absolutely, it can be. So it depends because everybody's different and their pain experience is unique. Mm -hmm. Um, We had talked earlier about nine different parts in the brain being 
Um, Not in the podcast, in general. We talked earlier, right? No, today I said there's nine parts of the brain that can participate in any pain experience. So for some, if the motor coordination part of your brain is stuck, we call it a pain meeting, Mm -hmm. then you can have soreness and pain in your muscles. Mm -hmm. And if your memory part of your brain is stuck in the pain meeting, you can have issues with memory. Mm -hmm. So it's unique to each individual Mm -hmm. how that will play out. But yes, it can definitely impact many different areas of your life. So the pain meeting, that, that, that's a good, that's a good analogy. So people having an analogy is part of this process it sounds like we have so many stories yeah Yeah, we we used to have 13 but I think I don't even know how many we have now Mm -hmm. and the stories are great because uh we need review you need to hear them more than once like I will tell them the story I will use visuals I will ask them to go home and tell a family member and Mm -hmm. come back to me with questions and you know if they have a flare I can be like yeah you know the bees are buzzing louder or you know the leaf hit the window we need to get it back down to tolerate a brick so having those metaphors really can help them understand these complex neurophysiological concepts does having a metaphor potentially dis empower the story like how people um create these memories and how the memories become i don't know stronger and does does do you think a metaphor can disempower that process and help people get to the other side of pain if the metaphor helps them understand how their system works and why they're experiencing pain, that knowledge in and of itself is enough to start to calm the nervous system. And ding, so, ding, ding. Ding, that's ding. amazing. Yeah, we have fMRI studies to show that. Yeah, I, so, I yeah, I've definitely looked at those. I think um, for. Those of you who don't know, fMRI means functional MRI. It means essentially an MRI taken with action, like people, the real time. The real it's time. not a it's not a moment in time. It's mm-hmm. real time. And a lot of the times, they're the brain activity. It's not necessarily uh, it, can, but it can be done all over the body. I'm only familiar with ones for the, the brain. brain. Okay, um, me too. Yeah. So I don't Actually, know. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's a uh, some ones that they do like in utero and stuff now that are pretty cool but I don't know anything about that stuff um no I think uh yeah so you can essentially see people's brain activity in real time so in some of these studies they're saying imagine that you get hurt and they see some activity no so the one that I'm most familiar with and this is um one of Adrian's main studies um I could get you the link to it if you wanted um so it is a fMRI of a Cirque du Soleil dancer and she is in a scanner resting comfortably and you can see the brain scan where it's just completely quiet there's nothing going on and then they asked her to do something called a pelvic tilt it's just you know rocking your pelvis back and forth Mm -hmm. and for her that was a very painful experience and you could see the brain just light up on this fMRI scan and Mm -hmm. so it's just so many different red blobs we just call them red blobs it's just areas of the brain that have been activated Uh and so they go through and they do a 20 15 to 20 minute pain education session with her Mm -hmm. and then they have her redo the same exact movement and it 
blows my mind still all these years later mm-hmm. how much calmer the brain's response is. Yeah. So I show that slide to clients. I have them take pictures of it so that they can, in fact, understand the power of education and knowledge. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's something I've told a similar story. Um, I thought I was using her as a ballerina, but I guess that's not too far off. But, um, she, you know, being a Cirque de Soleil athlete is, in, in it, it can infer that she's a super duper athlete and can withstand pain, essentially, if, you know, that's the, uh, the cultural expectation of her, you know. Um, but to just move the pelvis and experience something is, uh, you know, that's, I, I think a lot of people can relate to that, um, even if they're not. Um. And it's, I think it's those expectations yeah. that can get us into trouble. Mm. If she didn't have that expectation, yep. now we're just talking, you know, no, theoretically, yeah. but if she didn't have that expectation, mm-hmm. maybe she would not have pushed through mm-hmm. and passed what her protective pain system was telling her and she could have nipped whatever situation it was sooner was it overtraining was it you know too much pressure from her employers was it she had personal stuff going on at home we just don't know okay yeah that's where my head was going because that I think that's something uh, the everyday exercise enthusiast should understand you know that um there is it's not just a made up uh, thing that, you know, we're saying, oh, be careful in the gym or be careful or be gentle with yourself and listen to your body and listen to your intuition. Because that's where my hope is that people are now. We're giving them precautionary information about taking care of their body, you know, not necessarily pointing, you know, I'm not, um, Wanting to people, wanting people to self-diagnose their pain, or just say, "Oh, it's a uh, oh, it's in my head." Like, oh, I think that's a big gray area uh, for this particular. I don't know medicine, right? Okay, so two comments. Yeah, <laughs> first, I would like to respectfully. Try not to have people use the phrase, the pain is in your head. Yes. Because it has a very, very negative connotation to it. Mm. And it kind of connects to, you don't believe me, I'm making it up. So, again, all pain is real. Mm -hmm. And while technically, 100% of the time, pain is an output of the brain, that's not where we feel it. We feel it where we feel it. Mm. And so if somebody is having pain and we can't tie it to a structure or a surgery or an injury, their pain is still real and we just need to dive a little bit deeper and help them figure out what the source is. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's my first thing. And then my second thing is um, we have a phrase, especially Mm. for that athletic population, and in particular the weekend warriors. Do you Mm. have weekend warriors that you work with? Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, uh, weekend warriors, I would say people that go out on the weekends and exert themselves to try and make up either for their lack of enthusiasm during the week or their lack of activity during the week. Right. And so compensating somehow. Yeah. The nervous system hates that. Uh (laughs) And we have a term for it. We call it a boom and a bust. (laughs) So you go, 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 go. 
and then your system crashes and then you're good to go and then yeah. friday saturday comes again and you go 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 mm. and then you crash so that's not ideal for any of us mm. if you have a nervous system that's running at a nice low level buzz you're gonna tolerate it and endure that better but if somebody that already has a ramped up nervous system that is really a recipe for disaster mm. we can have people flare themselves significantly by doing too much. Mm -hmm. The opposite is also true because there is this um, incorrect understanding that if you have pain, you should stop. And so when we stop any and all activity, we're actually feeding the brain information and it thinks, oh, this is the right thing to do. And so it may choose to give you that pain experience even sooner and mm -hmm. even sooner. Um, and as uh, a great story from Joe Nice, and he described it as if you have a child having a tantrum, mm -hmm. you wouldn't give that child a piece of candy. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're experiencing pain and you stop at the first experience of pain, then you're actually telling the brain, oh, this was the right thing. Oh my gosh. So I like to describe it as if, so if you are running five miles and you mm -hmm. feel pain and you stop, your brain's gonna be like, oh, okay. So next time you go run, your brain's gonna stop, give you pain at four and a half miles, because then you'll stop. And so we have to actually do a mixture of not avoiding and not booming and busting, and we call it nudging. So mm -hmm. just, Understand that hurt doesn't equal harm. You can feel sore and still be safe. And so we want people to nudge. So mm -hmm. if you're running four miles, so that's great. Maybe next time you run 4.2 miles. Mm -hmm. If you feel a little discomfort, kind of think through it. I'm sore but safe. This is a normal run. We're going to go another two, three minutes. So we really want to be nudging the system into confidence and challenging it a little bit so that you can kind of reset and move your goal further and further Interesting. so you can reach more and more. It makes me think that the pain experience, even at my level of understanding it, is so much more complex and complicated than I even assumed, let alone... Um, <laughs> oh my gosh, every day I yeah. realize I don't think I know anything yeah. about pain. <laughs> um, yeah, because there's, um, I've taken, uh, I've got two things that came up. Uh, they're not tangents, I promise. <laughs> One of them has to do with um, a neuroscience class that I've taken about three times and in different, it was in a slightly different variation each time. And he came to the class, the, the, the author, the presenter, with the idea that when we exercise, we can design exercise with the entire nervous system in mind, meaning, uh, and, and looking at the nervous system as these different components, the mind, the brain, the esoteric or the, en sorry, enoteric. Enteric nervous en system? Enteric, yeah. Did I say esoteric? Um, the enteric nervous system. And what it means, um, what happens as a result of healthy exercise or a boom and bust exp uh, experience or, um, yeah, or too many overexposures in a way. And, yeah, it just made me think of that and, like, how many uh 
different variables and outcomes you could put into this, um, I don't know, storyline, if you will, like how this pain experience unfolds. That's really interesting because it just made me think of uh, the physiological wall that we talk about in fitness. Like you got to push through, you know, and same with the sauna. Sauna is a great example because they can like measure this stuff now, you know, and like the heat shock proteins. And there's a specific point Hmm. in your experience inside the sauna where just like exercise, you're pushing through that physiological wall. Hmm. And then all of a sudden you've got these, you know, cascade of chemicals and hormones that are going to reward you and build up your resilience and your tolerance with them. And, oh God, it just, yeah, my brain just, just, um, kind of exploded on the table guys. Sorry. Um, the second thing is I have like a really strong sense of justice sometimes. Like I get really shocker soapboxy and I get so, Um, what is the word? I get annoyed. I get, um, controlling. These are not good characteristics. Um, uh, these are not things I'm excited about. Um, I get anxious when I see people doing the wrong thing. And sometimes that trigger (laughs) comes from when I see people, um, like taking over the counter um, NSAIDs or at trying to decrease their pain signals or their pain experience and their inflammation process. And I don't know, how much does that play into somebody's historical context of the pain experience? Is that too big of a question? I think that they are doing what they think is best for themselves, given the knowledge they have. So I need to remind myself of that, too, because I get so fired up about that. I'm like, why? We could say the same thing about people that eat at McDonald's every day. That used to be my thing. Maybe they don't realize. And uh, Brene Brown, we've talked about her. I love Brene Brown. She talks about something called positive intent. Yeah. And I have really tried to kind of frame things that way Mm -hmm. because, trust me, there's a lot to get aggravated about in Mm -hmm. the field of physical therapy. Mm -hmm. And I love physical therapy. And those of you who have had people that have not believed you, I'm just going to apologize for the field. (laughs) Um, But I like to believe that we are we and our other fellow clinicians are putting our best foot forward with the information and the knowledge that we have. Mm. But that even makes it more important to spread the ripple mm. and get the knowledge out there. Mm. Yeah. The four pillars and uh, this ripple are kind of um, speaking to me. And one of those is uh, thinking what do you mean by goals and helping people, I guess, redefine how they're going about their process? Is that what you mean? We know that goals are important for business plans. Mm-hmm. We know that goals are important for, you know, if it's, is it weight loss? Is it um, running a marathon? You know, people aren't going to train for a marathon if they don't have a marathon date in mind. And, you know, some people have to go so far as to, um, you know, pay the fee and, you know, get the date. And so once we have a concrete goal, it is much easier 
to then start to reach that goal. So we take a long-term goal and then we need to break it into smaller pieces. Um, We refer to something called SMART goals. Mm -hmm. And so we want the goals to be SMART, which the S is specific, the M is measurable, the A is attainable, the R is relevant, and the T is to have a time frame. Mm-hmm. And so maybe an example would be is, you know, if you wanted to lose 50 pounds and you want to lose it just so you can look good at the beach for three days, that might not be all that relevant. And if you want to lose it in two weeks, that's probably not reasonable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you want to lose it in a year, that's also just too much of a discrepancy. Mm-hmm. And so considering all these pieces as you're setting a goal is important, whether it's for fitness or business. And it's also important from the perspective of pain. Yeah, we really want people to understand that despite the pain, I can. Mm-hmm. So yes, our goal is not to get you to zero out of 10. And I don't ever use that measurement anyway. Our goal is that you know what, I can take my kids for an hour hike. I can still get my kids ready and I can run that 5K. And yeah, I have some pain and soreness, but now I understand that pain doesn't mean I'm damaging anything. And I have this whole toolbox of things I can do to calm my nervous system down and create a better experience. And more often than not, what happens as they increase their function and their knowledge their pain starts to calm down Mm. because a reminder that pain is an output from the brain Mm -hmm. based on perceived or real threat. Mm. Mm. That's, I mean, that's the, when I was, when I first did a pain science uh, solo cast, you know, you guys, I was just reading off of a um, textbook basically. Um, and I I wanted to repeat that like six times because I think the re the saying perceived or real threat is so important to understand about the vastness of our um, body, what it's capable of, what it's capable of buying into. Um, you know, I mean, even if like you. Like that could apply to anything like going to the dentist or um, because if, you know, if you think that person is a a danger and you don't feel safe with them, you're even though they're completely safe and sterile and gentle, you could have a totally different experience with that belief, right? Right. And your perceived safety is based on your history and not the dentist's history. Yeah. Lorimer Mosley, he is one of the lead pain science mm-hmm. researchers. He's in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, people can find this story on YouTube, but it is one of my favorite stories to help get this point across. Mm-hmm. One time he tells this story, um, and he's funny too. He tells this story about he's just, you know, walking through the brush in Australia. And the next thing you know, he's in the ICU because he got bit by a poisonous snake. So he recovered. That's all great. And then I can't remember the time frame, but a significant time frame later, he was back walking in the brush again, and he felt this sharp, searing, stabbing pain against the side of his leg. Well, what his system and his nervous system and brain remembered was last time we were here walking through the brush, sunny day, breezy sky, and something brushed against our leg, we landed in the ICU. So created that experience of pain. And Mm. so he looked at his leg and really what had happened was just a blade of grass had scratched him a little bit. And so that is a really good way to understand 
that it's real or perceived threat. And I would say the next level of evolving that would be even being grateful for it. Sure. Pain is protective. You guys, like, if that were, if we were not in modern society, that would have, that could have potentially really helped him, you know, because his body somehow remembered that there's snakes in this area. His brain, his brain remembered, his brain put together the pieces. We call it a neurotag or the pain neuromatrix. So your brain has to make very quick decisions. So if it has a few pieces, it will fill in the blanks. Mm -hmm. And the way I describe this with clients is um, I ask them to tell me some, one of your favorite foods that your mom made. What Mm -hmm. is it? Oh, Mm, potato latkes. Potato latkes. So mm-hmm. as I say, and you say potato latkes, can mm-hmm. you almost see your mom cooking them in the kitchen? Yeah, yeah. I guess, so now yeah, we I know if we had an fMRI, the vision part of your brain has probably lit up. Can you almost hear the sizzle of them frying? Definitely the fry. Yeah, that you was hear. the first thing that came to mind. <laughs> <laughs> can you smell them? Can you taste yeah, them? Yeah. Are you having an emotional reaction to your mom's latkes? Mm-hmm. Right? So we had one piece of information, mm-hmm. latka, and look at all of the blanks your brain filled in. Mm. And when it comes to pain, sometimes that's the brain filling in the blanks to protect. Its job is to protect. Sometimes it does too good a job, so we need to help calm it down. So in the other way that would um, tr- that the other direction that would transpire would be let's say I hurt myself deadlifting somehow or I hurt myself um something happened during a deadlift, meaning after I put the bar down, uh something didn't feel quite right in my back. So then every time I step to that bar, I'm potentially building this story and this historical context. And um, now, does do you think that changes the strength of the tissue even? Like if it's, if we, yeah, that's where I'm going with this. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Does that... Could that change the way that our body lifts the bar? You know, could we just have a compensation mechanism based on that story? Oh, uh, I don't have any research to support that. But there probably is research, and I would say yes. Mm -hmm. It's almost like, um, you know, if you have eaten meatballs and spaghetti your entire life, and one time you eat it and you get food poisoning— Mm. Those 400 times you ate it without issue no longer matters. Now you've got this very strong negative connection and you're not going to want to do it again. Yeah. Can you? Can you find a way to eat spaghetti and meatballs if it's important to you? Mm. Yes. <laughs> can you find a way to get back to that lifting? Yes. Do we need to maybe back it down a little bit? Do we need mm-hmm. to educate you about why you're having that experience so mm-hmm. you understand it's not damaged tissue, but that it maybe, maybe you overdid it. Mm-hmm. Maybe somebody caught your attention and you turned your head. So it's really a lot of problem solving. Mm-hmm. And again, coming back to that understanding and progressing the system at a rate that it feels confident, not too much or too little. Mm. Okay. Now I want to indulge my curiosity with you a little bit because we talked about this in the um, like a week ago. Or I have no idea <laughs> what day it is. Um, <laughs> Neither do I. 
<laughs> yeah, I will say this. I have been caught off guard so many times on April Fool's Day. And it's tomorrow. It's tomorrow. I know. Don't forget. I'm so gullible for... I have got every People come after me. Don't accept uh, yeah. anything from anyone tomorrow. <laughs> Ugh, I'll try to stay off. Um, good day for social isolation. Yeah, it's a good day. And so... Um, this is where I use isometrics because I think it's worth when, when I'm in, so if I'm taking that deadlift person and into, um, let's say a new phase of their workout and my job is to help them with their goal, which might be some number of deadlifts or a number of of pounds Mm -hmm. that they want to lift. And so I would instruct them to practice maybe the most, um, what we could identify as the riskiest part of the deadlift, which might be the bottom for them, which a lot of people it is because they're, you know, the length tension relationships are not favorable to a lot of tissues. And so we would have them practice. I would have them practice at the bottom and meaning like they just pull the weight without moving and then they let go. Um, and in theory, uh, do you think that could help people with, um, I guess, a smart goal and getting back to a certain amount of exercise or a certain volume of exercise after they've had uh, a pain experience? Are you using the same weight? No, I mean, that's, well, that's a tricky question because if you ask someone like me, uh, you know, five pounds is never five pounds. You know, five pounds, it depends how far it is from the axis. (laughs) Uh, That would be true. So let's take this person who has a consistent deadlift for you Uh and they had this experience and you want to train their isometrics at that low point. Are you going to use their last greatest weight? No, well, it's I would I would have them focus on the internal torque generation first, meaning like how much they can ramp up their muscular system in that position. And then if we were going to actually lift the weight, I would change probably one or two things about like either the weight or the starting point. I think it's a big especially now that we're all focused on home exercise. I think it's really inappropriate for most people to pull deadlifts from the ground. Like, you know, when I do a deadlift at the gym, I miss you, Jim. G-Y-M or J-I-M? I'll take either. <laughs> um, we, I'll close my eyes if it's J-I-M. I'll pretend there's weights. And, um, and, no, you know, I uh, even when I'm there setting up a deadlift, I do not even, I don't, I'm, I'm four inches off the ground because I just don't think it's appropriate for most people um, and their length tension. So I'm really biased towards setting people up a little bit higher and teaching them a safe lift, safe lift. Um, so probably not because I really like tweaking those things and showing people how smart I am. So, well, you are smart. (laughs) I like the tweaks and 
I think that a couple other things to consider in addition to what you're doing is so mm -hmm. if, if you like that four inch off the ground, for somebody who's trying to come back after whatever the incident was, maybe start them at eight inches. Mm -hmm. Do that for two mm -hmm. or three times and then go down to six inches or however, just we, we call that kind of a graded exposure. Mm -hmm. So we want to get them back, but we need to build their confidence at a slightly less challenging level. And another mm -hmm. way to do it is um, with less weight. Mm -hmm. So whatever, if they were deadlifting, this is not my world, so I'm just going to make up 100 pounds. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe they go down to 80 so they can create that experience of success. Mm -hmm. And then maybe they do one with the 100 pounds and that is it because we want them to challenge themselves be successful, feel successful, not have their system flare, so then they're ready to get back at it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's It sounds like sometimes it's important, that nudge word. Nudge really is like my that. favorite yeah. word. <laughs> I really like that word uh, because it's encouraging you just to tap your comfort zone and say hello to the outside of it, but not go too far. Yes. And yeah. um, do you have a lot of listeners that are parents? Because I love this. Yeah, no, go for it. Because I actually don't know. I mean, I think they it falls into a demographic of like 25 to 50. So, All right. yeah. I well, mean, most I people so. have a small person yeah. in their life. So yeah. whether it's a child or a niece or nephew, um, is I talking to like, um, if you're at the park and you want them to come and you say, we're going to say this kid's name is Jeff. Hey, Jeff, it's time to go. And so you have three broad options. You can be like, Jeff, it's time to go. Jeff, it's time to go. Jeff isn't going to come. So mm -hmm. this is kind of that avoidance where we're just not challenging Jeff enough. Now, you have this other extreme where you could yank Jeff by the arm. You could yank Jeff by the ear. You could pick him up forcefully. Well, that's also not going to go well. Mm -hmm. So generally, what parents end up doing is they may just reach out and grab the child's hand, or they may you know, gently pick them up, or they may guide them with their hand along their back. And so we're just nudging the child that, yes, it's time to leave the park, as opposed to really giving them information that's generally avoidant and they're not going to do or too much force and that would be the boom and bust mm. <laughs> that's, yeah that's really good <laughs> um yeah i think it's a really good time i want to wrap it up um please tell people um about your practice a little bit more and how they can find you um let's see what else and uh, what is, I always, I like to ask like one generic question. What is the, the most frequent phrase that you use with your patients? Well, I just learned that today. Oh. <laughs> so I have a very good Sign friend. Sign your new waiver. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. We have, I have a very good friend and she met my brother Mm -hmm. who lives in Seattle, mm -hmm. and she was very entertained because both of us say, I am curious. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize that I said, I am curious. But when I am talking with people, and I really want to dive deep into their story, mm -hmm. and apparently when I'm talking with friends too, I often will say, hey, I'm curious. Could you tell me? And so today I did it when I was walking with her, and I realized, 
oh my gosh, I say it a lot. And I don't really know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious. Why? It's an invite. I got it from my brother. He lives in Seattle. Yeah. So but it's an anyway, invite. I like it. I think that might be the phrase that yeah. I didn't realize I use all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I, I using curious is a good way to, for me personally, to shield my face from saying anything else. Because sometimes I just give a face and I'm like, what? Oh. <laughs> and and, and uh, podcast listeners, um, unless you, I mean, I talk on Instagram on the stories all the time and I just like put the camera right in my face and I'm oh, always funny. like making faces. Oh, so it. there's the face. <laughs> yeah. And like, I when I was talking about my triggers, you know, I you know, I got a hand thing, and so I, I've actually started using that word curious to try and – it's like my own cue to not be triggered by someone. I'm curious, and I wonder, I wonder. so that I can learn more about your story uh-huh. without judgment. Yeah. Because it's not my story to judge. Mm. Mm. And that's uh, – do you think that's a natural thing of your personality? Because I think you're – um, we're taking a skip over to the spiritual word here. You're, uh, you're a Libra, right? You're an yeah. October person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, do you think that was a natural thing in your personality or was that like a coaching technique? Um, I think that's largely from motivational interviewing, yeah. which is a big part of coaching mm-hmm. and it's part of the pain neuroscience. Um, I also think it's part of my natural self Mm -hmm. i've just gotten better at it Mm -hmm. with the coaching and the pain science yeah um okay so tell us about your practice what type of people are you working with and how to get a hold of you okay so right now it's online so i've dropped my rates by 30 to 35 percent and um i'm doing a fair amount people are choosing between 30 and 50 minute sessions Mm um and if you require largely manual therapy, we might need to rethink it. Um, but I'm able to do a fair amount taking people through exercise, and we can do postural things. We can do, you know, creative exercise and self-mobe. So there's a fair amount uh, mm-hmm. we can do, and the four main pillars are easily addressed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am hmm, I'm actually changing my physical space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so when we can all work in a real space again, I'm actually going to be sharing space with Jen Yay. or borrowing some of her space when she's not here. Um, I don't have a website. Maybe I'll get one someday. But my email address is probably the best way to reach me, and it's Jen, J-E-N, at DLorenzoPT.com. Mm-hmm. And DLorenzo is D-E-L-O-R-E. E-N-Z-O. And my phone number is also fine, 703-859-3415. And that's for those of you who can grasp that there's no website you have to call. I do. You can find me on LinkedIn. There we go. Yeah. And yeah. And then um, what about uh, like what type of people end up? Do you have like a like a, a typical type of patient um or i get such a wide variety um i don't even see all chronic pain i do see some post-ops and interestingly enough i've been doing a fair amount of pre-op 
um, pain science sessions. Oh, that's so good. It's a 30 minute session and these can be done anywhere. I just did it for somebody who was having a mastectomy on Saturday. And it's so great because the pre-op that they give you is more for them to just spit some information at you, but there's actually science and research behind what we're doing. And it's just prepping you for the experience. And it's pretty phenomenal that warms my heart honestly it's mind-blowing like the people i've done it with i mean i don't have research on my people Mm -hmm. but they are coming back and having far less pain experiences than even previous surgeries they've had themselves yeah i just can't grasp the amount of fear that gets built up when like going into a mess i mean i've helped i've witnessed people go through that long process of mastectomy and implants and lymph nodes and uh if we're referring to cancer treatments um and it's it's such an it's an identity crisis it's it's just ah that warms my heart to know that there's another way out there because um I just feel like so many patients get um left out in the cold because they're just getting the same information you would get off a WebMD that's like not really helpful and they talk they're they're treating you like you're dumb like you don't have a uh, an emotional and heart uh, emotional investment in what's happening to your body you know because we're not all surgeons we don't have that like mechanical you know carpenter aspect of health, you know, we don't see it and want to cut it out. We want to, you know, we want to love our body. And I, yeah, so I, oh, I think that's amazing. It's super interesting. Yeah. And, Cause I asked this person specifically, I said, I know you had pre-op at the hospital, you know, is this different? And she's like, well, of course it's different, you know? And so they're prepping the bio mm-hmm. and oh, I'm trying to prep yeah. the knowledge, the psycho and the social. Yeah. Yeah. So it's 30 minutes. So you're just, oh, that's great. Um, would you make it longer? Would you do more sessions if you could? For pre-op? Yeah. Um, I haven't found it necessary. Mm -hmm. I would be willing to consider it if it was going to be of value to the client Mm because I'm not really about wasting their time or money. Yeah, sure, (laughs) sure. Um, this one actually went long because it's somebody I know, but that's okay. Um, yeah. I wonder where do you see the future of physical therapy? I hope (laughs) that we all embrace a biopsychosocial model, Mm -hmm. and I hope that we can believe our patients, even if it's something outside of our knowledge or our comfort zone, Mm -hmm. and appropriately refer them on rather than making them feel shame that they didn't get better or they're making it up. Like those are the yeah. things that kind of really bother me. Yeah, that. Yeah, that. Yeah, there's my uh, my my justice face again. I get really yeah. annoyed by the should conversation. Oh, you should be moving this far. Oh, you should feel better at this point. Um, I can't tell yeah. you how many stories, <laughs> even with current clients. Yeah, really is heartbreaking when they. This is the message they received. And mm. then guess what? That ramps up their nervous system even more, mm. and they're probably going to have more pain experiences. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's giving me anxiety. I can't imagine with those people. Yeah. All right. Well, it's time for me to work out. 
I'm calling my new workouts um, Pilates Prison Style. Oh, nice. Yeah. I like that. If you guys haven't seen my setup, <laughs> I have a ladder that kind of looks like it was um, hijacked from a Russian ballet situation. Um, but it's called a fuse ladder. I truly love them. I, I, it. It's one big unit. And... Um, I'm trying to feel inspired by this body weight exercise uh, necessity right now. I love body weight oh, I exercise. I miss weights. I miss you miss weights. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna. I am not gonna feel bad about it. I miss it. That's okay. Yeah. If that's your jam and that that's your passion, so my jam. and that's how you get your exercise and I movement, do. I don't yeah. care. Because I, I don't. That's my other thing. Is I don't really care what you do for exercise. Yeah. As long as you exercise. That's yeah. what's really important from the perspective of the nervous system. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and honestly, you guys, like, if you do one thing for, if you do something consistently and uh, well for, and not even well, you don't have to do it at 110% perfect. If you do three months of consistent exercise, like, your body will change if it's a novel stimulus, you know? And... Oh, at the end of the day, if um, you do it with intention and you do it with a, uh, I guess, one, optimism, too, and then three, with some room for uh, learning and forgiveness for yourself and self-love, you will have success. And, uh, you know, no matter to me, like, unless you overdefine success and your goals aren't smart and they're not timely, then you're just you know, setting yourself up for a fumble, really, then, yeah. And make it exercise you like. Oh, yeah, of course. You got to yeah, fun is important. I've tested that waters. I've tested that a few times. And um, I don't know. Mostly, yeah, I've got a lot of bratty, bratty like, tendencies sometimes. Like, no, I don't want to do that. So, like, I'll make myself do something to see if I like it, if to see if I just – made up my mind prematurely yeah sometimes that's the case um that's true too right yeah. we don't know if we're gonna like something unless we try it yeah yeah so yeah i've tested that waters to see um if i could get the intended results and um not enjoy it as much and i totally agree you have to enjoy you have to find uh the flow state and something, you know, whether I think it's fun that you've yeah. tested it. Yeah. Cause now I'm going to tell people <laughs> like, cause I, I exercise cause I have to, I had this one client once. She's like, I hate pushups. I said, okay. Yeah. Can you give yourself permission to not do pushups? There it is. Yep. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like two weeks later, she was a coaching client. Hey, guess what? I'm doing pushups. I said, really? Yep. And now she loves them. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it, like intellectually, I understand that. But when you apply it to yourself, it's it's difficult um, for sure. Like there's, um, yeah, I did it with, I, I definitely did it with squats um, because I had made up my mind that I had, I didn't have the knee strength to do it. Um, I made up my mind that it could be dangerous. It could impede on my everyday functional activities. I made the excuse that, Mm, I didn't want to do it by myself. So anyways, I focused on squats for about a year and a half, <laughs> and then I ended up loving it. And So your beliefs yeah. impacted your reality? Yep. 
Mm-hmm. And beliefs about pain, I'm circling back, mm-hmm. beliefs about it pain. It was about pain because it was about my knee. Impact yeah. pain. Mm-hmm. So thoughts are things. Mm. That's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> All right. That's a perfect place to end. Thank you so much. Okay, guys, thanks again for hanging out this long. I invite you to check out um, impactyourfitness.net and, of course, um, join the newsletter and get all kinds of updates and thinking tools and offers on learning from me and with me. Um, I'm also really excited to bring a affiliate product to the podcast so that you can support the podcast and your health. And that product is called Ruvi, R-U-V-I. And this drink is actually just freeze-dried vegetables and nothing else. They have four different blends. Uh, They are just fabulous. There's no no additives, no... Uh, gluten, no sugar, and when you purchase them, you are supporting the show. So please head on over to impactyourfitness.thrivelife.com slash Ruvi, R-U-V-I. Link is in the show notes. And with your first purchase, you get the cutest and adorable shaker bottle. Um, so that's, I mean, for me, like that always kind of gets me, <laughs> but you know, I'm, I, I love all things health and fitness and healthy, um, high quality product. So that's why I get excited about it. Anyways, thank you so much. And I hope you enjoyed that conversation and there's more to come. Have a great week.